All decks, all stations. This is the captain speaking. All decks, I must have your full attention. In a few moments, as we attempt to walk back home, it is vital, absolutely vital, that you center your thoughts on your duty or on the welfare of Star Trek with Erin and Pauly. Think of giving some of your strength. Captain Picard's right, y'all. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly needs your help. We need you to go out to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. Let the Alpha Quadrant know how much you enjoy this podcast. Now, this is an order. You must try to do this. And now, attempt to concentrate completely on your duty of the moment. All decks, all stations, battle stations. Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart. To boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. Welcome to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. And Paul what? just got done watching some television. He's he's here to tell us hot off the te- hot off the CBS All Access all mm-hmm. about the Twilight Zone. Well, so CBS All Access. Uh, what is what are we recording? We're recording this on April second. On April first, dropped the first two episodes of the Twilight Zone, and I didn't realize that, so I've only seen the first. Um, so, uh, it is the new Jordan Peele hosted and I think produced, uh, Twilight Zone reboot. Um, I think it is a mixture of, of, um, remakes as well as new stories. Uh, the, the title of the second episode is, um, Terror at 30,000 Feet. Which is a uh, remake of the original, uh, Twilight Zone show featuring William Shatner. Yeah. yeah, so I'd imagine that's what it is, but you know, I haven't. I, that's the one I didn't see, right. uh, which, which of course is one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes, both in the original incarnation with William Shatner as well as the movie version with John Lithgow. It's kind of an iconic uh, piece of short yeah. fiction. But the first episode actually featured um, Camille Nanjiani, uh, as well as Tracy Morgan, and uh, about a a comedian who. Who you know is a struggling comedian and the weird power that he gains um, to be famous and you know I don't want to spoil any of it. It's honestly within ten minutes of the episode you'll be able to predict the ending. Um, I, I did find it very okay. It was very okay. <laughs> I it was, found it, was, it very okay. Yeah, it was a very lackluster uh, series premiere, I should say. I mean, it's um, I, I think it sets the tone, um, not in the, not in the quality, but in the kind of the way they're going with it. So obviously, Jordan Peele is the host. Um, it's got this darkly comedic 
feel to it, which, you know, of course, Twilight Zone always had that that kind of wicked sense of humor to it. And that's kind of what we have here. Um, I will say much like uh, the first time they dropped an F-bomb on Star Trek Discovery, I was rather shocked. And this is funny coming from essentially an R-rated Star Trek podcast uh, for at the language in the in the show. Very, you know, it is an R-rated show. There was no sex or violence, but uh, the language was, you know, a, a number of F-bombs and some other things. So I was like, oh, oh, OK. Like, you know, not what I'm used to from Twilight Zone. Well, and in the other CBS All Access, you know, uh, program, uh, The Good Fight, I mean, it is it is rather, uh, you know, mature language as well. Um, and here's the thing. I'm not opposed to it. I just uh-huh. found it interesting. You know, it's one of those things for me. Lord knows I have no problem cussing, but you know, the uh, twilight zone is kind of a property that, you know, I'm familiar with from being a kid. And I think a lot of folks who understand what the twilight zone are, it's been off. Even if you are, even if you didn't get into it until the reboot in the nineties or eighties, I guess, um, you know, you're older now. And so a lot of people remember it as a kid and it was wholesome, you know, I don't want to say wholesome entertainment because it was dark and it was kind of immature themes, but it certainly wasn't, um, you know, graphic or, or profane or, or, or gratuitous in any way. And I think this new Twilight Zone, you know, leans a little bit more that way. Like I said, there was no, um, blood or boobs to speak of um you know but it, hard out <laughs> yeah. but it did kind of uh it could it kind of remind me a little bit of that outer limits reboot that they did on showtime right uh you know a while back that that kind of introduced more mature elements not a bad way i liked that too but it just kind of caught me off guard but the, the first i do hear that the first two episodes are not great for the new Twilight Zone, but they do say stick with it. Not not the makers of it, but, but, uh, <laughs> but re- reviewers have said you know stick with it because uh, you know more to come and and then better things to come, which is a shame because the second episode I'm really looking forward to watching, right. and I've been looking forward to the show coming out. I'm, I have high hopes for it. Uh, you know, I, I I did see us in theaters. The how, uh, the how was theater. us? <laughs> the thing about us is that. Um, I think with us, it had a great first hour. And most of the footage you've seen from the trailer is from the first hour of the film. Uh, Super intense, uh, you know, like, like really like, you know, fist pumping in, you know, when the good guys do something that you think they're going to get out and then the bad guys. And, you know, like there's a lot of great stuff in that first hour. Um, And then the, the last I'd say it's about a two hour film, uh, but the last 45 minutes or so kind of introduced a twist that has not been revealed in the trailer. And I'm not going to reveal here, but it, but it deflates the film quite a bit. It, it almost felt like, Oh, this it had the film ended with that twist. Um, it, I think it would have been better, but you know, the film continues for an additional 45 minutes. And at that point it, it essentially stops becoming scary uh, because the twist is such that it, it kind of, over explains things and you know because i like a little bit of let me figure it out i like a little bit of mystery i like a little bit of you know when when the original halloween came out he, he you know and michael myers was just a guy and we don't know why he was evil you know when the original friday the 13th you know there are a lot of uh, classic horror films and they're really all about what you know the mystery right. it's not you know fully explained and i think the my issues with us um, where that they there is a five minute long exposition sequence that spells it all out for you at the end, and I that on top of the the twist deflating the movie for me, 
when you do that at the very end of your film, like I'm going to explain everything to you because I'm going to assume you don't get it. <laughs> um, You've not been paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, 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 you know, that ruined it for me. Um, now I do think it was a well, a well-directed film, well-acted film. I think the, uh, the issues are, you know, it, it's just that it was a bit too much. I think it was a, it could have used a, a heavy editing hand. It was like two hours and five minutes, which, you know, for anyone who does make horror films, they, they, they'll tell you, you know, the, the scare only lasts but so long. Right. Same with comedy. And I think, uh, you know, it just kind of got a little inflated. But it's doing well. People are liking it. You know, Jordan Peele, I, you know, regardless of my opinion of us, uh, I think he, he's doing some great things for the genre and introducing some new elements that we haven't seen in a while. So I'm looking forward to, to more Twilight Zone. And, you know, it certainly gives me more for my seven ninety nine a month than the singular Star Trek Discovery. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I'm looking forward to it as well. And I will say my wife is looking forward to it. You know, not a genre person, but she does enjoy herself some Twilight Zone. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, and uh, they'll, they'll be showing the original Twilight Zone this weekend on Sci-Fi Channel. They're doing a marathon to celebrate the, the release of the new Twilight Zone. So huh, if you don't like it, you can always just pop on Sci-Fi Channel this weekend. <laughs> and, and watch some Rod. Yeah. <laughs> Watch some Rod smoking while he's hosting a show. That's right. That's right. Well, and speaking of smoking, oh. did you see, Paul, that uh, Leonard Nimoy is featured in a new uh, Centers for Disease Control anti-smoking ad? I have not seen that, actually. Yeah, it, it uh, came out uh, earlier today. And, uh, you know, it's the one that I saw, and I think there's more than one, is his wife talking about how, you know, uh, Leonard had smoked cigarettes for 37 years. And, you know, even though he had quit smoking, it had damaged his lungs to cause his COPD. And uh, she said, you know, he just thought he was going to have more time. And, you know, he ultimately died of of COPD or complications relating to COPD uh, back in, what, 2015. And so now here we are in 2019 and they've come out with this uh, anti-smoking thing. And apparently it was with Leonard's blessing. You know, it was something that, that he, he wanted to go on record as being, you know, anti-smoking and you know, hopefully urge others not to uh, smoke cigarettes. All of which are things I can support. I, and I, I don't want to be weird about this, but two things kind of bother me in this one. Um, I don't know if you recall, Paul, but when Yul Brenner died... He had one like within mm-hmm. days after his death. And the the ad starts off, you know, and now a message from the late Yul Brenner. And I mean, it was like, I mean, it, my memory serves, it was days. It was very shortly after he died of lung okay. cancer. And it's, you know, essentially, hey, I'm Yul Brenner. You really shouldn't smoke cigarettes because it killed me, you know. And uh, boy, I, I really wish I hadn't smoked cigarettes. And, yeah. you know, it, I mean, it was so impactful. You know, it was just, bam, it, like, it kind of hits you in the gut. You know, the, the ladies and gentlemen, the elite Yul Brenner. I mean, it was just, it was so impactful. And then having waited four years from the time Leonard Nimoy died to do this just seems a little, uh, the, the timing seems poor. It seems much less impactful. Also, I'd like to point out Yul Brenner was 65 when he passed away. Leonard Nimoy was 83. Fair. And, you know, uh, the while, yeah, we would all like to live, you know, into perpetuity. Um, but how much longer did, I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to put in these terms, but how much longer did Neil, uh, Leonard think he was going to get? Yeah. You know what no, I'm saying? Because, I, I mean, 83 is a, 
is a ripe old age. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, I, you know, I say that as someone looking down the gun, you know, <laughs> and yeah. you know, if, if I make it to 83, I'm thinking that's a huge win. Um, but, uh, I, I, it's just, it seems weird to me. It seems a weird choice when Leonard Nimoy lived such a robust and full and long life to put that out there. He seems like the wrong spokesperson for this. You know, I think when it comes to certain act, I think regardless of the timing of it, and I do agree with the timing of it, but I, you know, the family had to process and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I, I do think, um, <laughs> blah, 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 not to be disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but you know, I do think when it comes to, to that kind of stuff, uh, as far as, um, the timing of it and his age, I mean, I think when it comes to, to fans, a lot of them just kind of assume they're, they're you know, their uh, celebrities are going to live forever. I mean, think about the people who were still surprised when Stan Lee died, you know, um, all the memorials and not that Stan, that Stan Lee is a poster child for anything other than elderly abuse, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and really how you should take care of your elders uh, to avoid that situation happening uh, where they could be taken advantage of. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think people just, you know, they're every much like Leonard Nimoy, a lot of his fans don't remember a life without Leonard Nimoy. Sure, don't remember no, I, a life without Stanley. So that reminder, yeah. like, oh yeah, we did lose Leonard Nimoy, and this is why. Yeah. And now, you know, as far as its impact, I don't know. I haven't seen the ad. Um, you know, to full disclosure, I pretty much spent like the first five hours of the day trying to get goddamn Avengers tickets. But um, <laughs> yeah, my, so that's all the Internet I saw was Fandango and AMC theaters dot com crashing on me. My Avengers uh, endgame ticket purchasing took about four hours, I think, from beginning to end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a it was a rough morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I select, I, I I did a search that took a little bit of time. <laughs> I did a search for which Cinemark theater I wanted to see that mm -hmm. took a little bit of time, and then it was okay. I found my time that took a little bit of time to process, and then I had to pick my seat, which took a little bit of time to process. And oh God, don't get me started on how long it took for the payment to log. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was forever. I mean, I just kept coming back to the page, and I was surprised it hadn't timed me out. Yeah, but yeah, I, I got my ticket. I'm going. Oh, sweet, sweet. You know, and then so you know, not to not to start this off on a wrong foot. We've we're, we've talked about Leonard Nimoy. We've talked about uh, you know some 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 not nice things. But we have one more one more bit of uh, not nice of, news of, to share of downer news of downer yeah, news. Yeah, and uh, Vonda in McIntyre. Um, a uh, Star Trek novelist, a science fiction writer in her own right, but a uh, Star Trek novelist uh, passed away on April 1st. Um, she uh, passed away of pancreatic cancer diagnosed back in February of this year. So from uh, diagnosis to death, less than two months. Um, you know, the pancreatic cancer is one of those horrible diseases where if you, you, you get it, you're pretty much gone. Um but uh, she left an indelible mark on Star Trek. She wrote the very first Star Trek novel for Pocket Books that wasn't a movie adaptation. Gene Roddenberry wrote the movie adaptation for Star Trek Motion Picture, mm -hmm. Star Trek the Motion Picture. Uh, but she wrote the first uh, original novel for Pocket Books, which was The Entropy Effect. And it's funny, I, I recently reread The Entropy Effect, and you know, back in the day when that first came out, we were all starved 
for uh, new Star Trek content because there just wasn't any. Yeah. You know, we were well before Star Trek The Next Generation. We just had uh, the motion picture in 79. So in 1981, before the uh, premiere of, of Wrath of Khan, this new Star Trek novel came out. And it was so good. Me and all my friends read it. It was It was so evocative of what good Star Trek can be. You know, it told the story of... Uh, the of a professor who was sending all of his buddies back in time, not to change history, but to live in eras that they wanted to live in. And the uh, the story was essentially that uh, what was happening was that these people would go back into these various periods, and because they were such fans of the period, they would impact the timeline and keep things from progressing. Right. So it wasn't that they were, you know, sabotaging the timeline, but it was that they were just really insure they were inadvertently affecting the timeline by not letting things progress in advance. The moral of the story being that nostalgia kills you, which was was sort of a meta meeting for meta meaning for Star Trek in that, you know, Vonda McIntyre seemed to be saying, you know, we can't just keep retelling the same sorts of stories that we had in the first three years of Star Trek. We've got to seek out new stories and new fiction. <laughs> and that's what was so remarkable about that book is that it really, it told a Star Trek story in a really new and unusual way. And I remember just being enraptured by the way she described the starship combat, you know, that, you know, Mr. Sulu had this great maneuver that, of course, we never saw in a movie, we never saw on TV, but he had this, you know, I think it was called the, the Drunkard's Waltz, you know, and uh, the way he maneuvered the ship in combat. And it was super cool. We also, in that book, found out uh, Mr. Sulu's first name, Hikaru, which later became canon uh, in the movies, but she named Mr. Sulu. Uh, I just I she, did not know that. Yeah, she named Mr. Sulu because you know up until that point he had just been Mr. Sulu. Huh. Um, it, you know, the book stands up. I reread it recently. There's a B story that doesn't stand up so well. Excuse me. Uh, there's a B story that doesn't stand up so well, but the mm -hmm. rest of it really stands up. Uh, like I said, I reread it not too long ago. I think back in the fall, and I just I I I, I fell right back into it. It's really a a, a neat story uh, that I that that really primed the pump for such stories as the final reflection by John Ford, which established a lot of the, the Klingonisms that we have today. Uh, you know, things that, that were just some science fiction writer writing a thing became, you know, canon in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just some great stories in the, in that pocketbook line. And, you know, it was all kicked off by Vonda McIntyre. I kept trying to find, cause in my head, it was a bestseller. I couldn't find any records of that, though. But I know that it, it, that at a minimum, it kicked off and set the table for all of those other Star Trek novel bestsellers that followed. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, so the, the, assuming you you said you read it recently, yeah. you read it recently. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, where did you find it? Oh, you can get uh, uh, Simon and Schuster has all of those old uh, Star Trek pocketbook ebooks mm -hmm. uh, available, and I think I picked it up for ninety nine cents on one of their sales. Wow! Okay, so I, re I read it on my iPad, Paul. <laughs> Look at you, like the yeah. future. Yeah, and you know, I, and I'd like to point out the uh, 
the uh, irony is not lost on me that I'm, I'm I'm telling you about a story where you know the the message is nostalgia can kill you, um, and you know I'm getting all nostalgic about having read this story from almost forty years ago. But yeah. I, it, it it does it does stand up, and you know it, it I do like new Star Trek fiction. Um, I like the new ways we're telling Star Trek stories in Discovery. Ah, see, I did it. I brought us back. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, you you make a good point in that this week's episode of Discovery, um, I will say, for me, felt different than than anything else I've seen um, in Star Trek before. And mm-hmm. I don't know why it felt. You know, I think it was just there was an element to there. There was a lot going on in this episode, not quite as much as last episode. Yeah, you know, the, the, lots of uh, explaining going on. Yeah. Right? You know, because we finally get to talk to Michael Burnham's mom, or Mama Burnham. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, we get to see what Control is up to, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because, uh, you know, Captain Leland has yeah, – I, I got to tell you, I don't like Captain Leland. I did hate watching him die. Uh, well, he didn't. They said his ship got away, right? And no, like, no, 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 no. When the when control injected him with all of its nanoparticles, I think it killed Leland, oh, like the actual over- Leland. Yes, right. okay, yeah. Yes. So I, I kind of hated watching that because I mean, you know, wow, that was rough. You yeah. know, and you you see all the all the the nanoparticles just kind of sort of pour into his eyeball. Blech. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm not yes. a big fan of the eye stuff. Just yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, as a guy who's had three eyeball surgeries, I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it was it, it, the I think Discovery does a really good job of making me care about people that I don't really like on the show. You know, feeling that for them, like, oh man, because you know, if he was a if he was a mustache twirling villain, I'd be yeah, motherfucker. You know, but in this circumstance, I'm like, ugh, you know, he I didn't agree with his methods, but you know, I think that he did actually have you know uh the federation's best interests at heart right yeah and it was it was rough to see that happen to him poor, well, you know he, he's still Leland. his body still around i'm sure so perhaps uh we haven't seen the last of uh oh no of yeah, yeah. yeah he beamed up and got the hell out of dodge at the end of the episode but uh yeah i think i think the captain leland that uh, we knew is no longer among us i think all that's left now is control Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so uh, at the beginning of the episode, Michael Burnham wakes up from having been dead. If you'll recall, at the end of last episode, the uh, you know she 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 asphyxiated to death mm-hmm. uh, in painful, terrible fashion, and the Red Angel showed up and blasted her with her heart light. Turn on your heart light. Turned Michael Burnham back on. I'd like to understand how that worked. Did she like reverse? Did she like de-age Michael Burnham for a few minutes to bring her back, or is she just got like resurrecto ray? I think uh, I think it's Resurrecto, Ray. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think uh, you know one, what, what I've discovered. What I'm discovering about uh, this show uh-huh. uh, is that they the, the science of it not quite as important as it's yeah, no. other, like no. the science is what is convenient. Yeah, no, I, I, I you know I feel like season one was a lot more science focused. You know, the tardigrade, the mycelial network, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, this season, not so much. You know, like, you know, things like the, the, the very bogus time crystal, uh, 
which I, I'm still having issues with. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Resurrecto Ray. I mean, no, I mean, no explanation at all given no. as to how that happened. Because I was like, just tell me you, you turned back time locally on her for a moment. Yeah. You know, just that's all you had to do. You know, just, I'm not asking for much. Yeah. But I mean, no explanation at all. Nobody says, hey. So, you know, we're glad Michael Byrne was back. But how'd she do that? Because wouldn't it be nice if we knew how to do that? Because then maybe we could we could have helped out Arium. You know, I am just saying. Yeah. I'm still focused on that whole Arium thing. I think that, that, that Arium was just allowed to die. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, you know, that, yeah. that, I, I'm just saying it's racist. It's robo-racist. It, it, it is. Racism. It's robo-racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. But here we are. We got, we got Michael Burnham. And Michael Burnham wants to immediately run back down planet side where her mother is being held. And talk to mom, but they're like, hey, you can't go down there because, you know, she's uh, she's all locked up in her uh, little chrono jail. And, you know, you need to get some rest. But, hey, here are her logs for you to look at all the stuff that, that happened. And see if you can, you can figure out something from her logs, something important that we might need to know. And, you know, we find that Mama Burnham wound up escaping the Klingons by jumping into her armor, thinking that she would jump back a day or two or a week or something like that. She'd jump back to a time before the Klingons were showing up and get her family to safety. But sadly, she jumped, she overjumped by 900 or more years. Did I get that I'm right? Just, yeah. And, and, and I'm just saying, maybe she wasn't the right person to put on the suit. <laughs> <laughs> if you could screw it up that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's she appears to be tethered to something. I can't remember if it's nine hundred or nine hundred and fifty years, but she's tethered to something nine hundred plus years ago, and she can't help but be snapped back to that point. Uh, so I'm assuming that's got something to do with the time crystal, you know, because uh, we don't know what the origins of this time crystal are. Uh, nobody seems to be questioning what a time crystal is no. or how a time crystal comes to be. We just science. all accept, yeah, we science. <laughs> we just all accept that it's a time crystal. You don't ask questions about the time crystal. You just jump back and forth in time. Yes. Um, and so she keeps getting snapped back to this place 900 plus years in the future where all sentient life is dead. Uh, apparently control is the only thing that lives in that period of time. And, uh, you know, her goal initially was to, you know, get back to her daughter. But when, you know, a, a multitude of times are unsuccessful, a multitude of attempts are unsuccessful, she decides that she's got to instead, she's got to give up Michael Burnham because, you know, you know, stupid kid. Uh, you got to give up Markle Burnham and just try and save the Federation or save the galaxy because, you know, control wipes out all sentient life. And of course that doesn't go so well. And we find, find out, you know, if you'll recall, if you, if you go back in the way back machine, you'll recall that, you know, Paul and I made note that it just seemed really weird that the sphere just fell in front of the discovery. And we find out that the red angel pushed the sphere in front of discovery so that they could capture that information and protect it from control because it is that information from the sphere which control uses to become sentient. And, you know, uh, Mama Burnham's like, well, I haven't been able to successfully destroy the sphere or redirect the sphere, but maybe if I put it in Discovery's path, Discovery will fix it. Well, apparently that hasn't happened yet. So, you know, the suggestion is made 
And, you know, I was like, why not just delete it? I'm, I'm, I'm in the episode for probably five minutes going, why not just, why not just do, delete all of that? You know, format C colon, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> Another DOS uh, reference. And, and they finally, they, they finally, hey, why don't we delete that shit? Right. And so they all decide to do it. And of course, the data itself is sentient. It, 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 it's, it is, you know, practicing self-preservation and, you know, rewrites the encryption, parses itself to go into different parts of the database. So you can't just yank out one thing. You know, it's protecting itself. And so they can't delete it. And so the big issue now. Paul, it's crazy town because they're like, okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to fall back a plan C. We're going to transfer all this data to the suit, the red angel suit. Let, you know, uh, open up the trap so that mama can snap back to 950 years ago and she can protect the data from control, you know, keep control from getting it in the present. Cause yeah. it'll be all the way the hell out in the future, Paul. That's where it's going to be. We'll be safe. Cause all that, all that stuff, it's going to be in the future. We don't have to worry about it now. Cause it's then. Yeah. Right, <laughs> we don't we don't need future people anyway. Yeah. Fuck future people is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's kind of the whole concept behind global warming, Paul. Yeah, I mean the profanity <laughs> here. It's it's like I'm on an episode of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> so they decide that's what we're going to do. But Michael Burnham's got a twist because we're going to beam Mom out of the suit as the or as the suit's going away, they'll they'll hold Mom back. Right, and they've got that dark matter that they found earlier in the season, and that will allow that to happen. No, pro- so they'll just send the suit randomly into the future. This didn't seem like a bad idea at all, right? <laughs> Suit's going to randomly go off into the future and just sit there where no one will fuck with it because people don't fuck with stuff in the future, Paul. No, especially time suits. Yeah, I mean, why would you? You're already in the future. Why would you need to mess with the time suit? Uh, that, that's a fair point. It is a fair point, right? I mean, you know, you've got you've already got your your jet car and 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 your, and your rocket pack, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I you, you don't need a suit then. The suits are mundane. Everyone will have one in the in those. Days. Exactly useless. Right. <laughs> so they decide to do all this. Well, meanwhile, Leland has got uh, he's hijacking the data that we're transit uh, transitioning transmitting to mm-hmm. the suit and. Uh, you know this is going to be bad because you know he wants he wants all that all that info, and once he gets it, control is is going to going to be all smartified. Um, which begs the question: How much smarter does control need to get? Because Fair. control seems pretty smart right now. Yeah, control can kick some ass. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, control is is already making decisions on its own. Control is already aware of its surroundings. I mean, I feel like it already meets the definition of sentience now. Yeah. I would it, is, think so. it, it is ever bit as aware, I think, as uh, data is in Next Generation. I don't understand the, the difference. I don't understand what it's, what it's seeking to achieve other than just, I'll know more than everybody else. Um, but I, I feel like it has already achieved sentience. Yeah. I, I mean, it certainly feels like it doesn't it's, – it's kind of like – just to, to bring an, an odd reference here – it's kind of like the Resident Evil movies. <laughs> For anyone who's a Resident Evil fan like me, uh, the Umbrella Academy is the bad guys. Well, in in part three, the apocalypse happens, and the Umbrella Academy, and you know, the Umbrella has basically not Umbrella Academy, Umbrella Corporation. Thank you. Uh, I was like, those guys all seem like good guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have basically destroyed the world with their zombie plague, but they keep trying to 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 fuck up what's left, and I'm like, but. But there's there's really only like a couple hundred people left. Like, what are you going for here? 
Now, to be fair, you know, in Resident Evil 7, the, the good guys finally won. But until then... <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like you know, like it, 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 you know, much like this. Like you've already gotten everything you need. What what's left? You know, it's yeah. you're just gilding the lily at that point. Yeah, gluttonous. That's what I'm, that's what we're calling you, control gluttonous. Yeah, yeah. I just I I'm kind of at a point like, what more does it need? Because yeah. it seems like it's already there. It seems like it has it, it's self realizing. It is able to to manipulate its surroundings. It has a desire, right? Um, I'm not sure what else it needs to be able to be defined as sentient. Yeah, and that seems to be his goal. And he's like, we can't let it be. We can't let it become sentient. I'm like, what's well, already self aware? It's already kind of kicking your ass. So yeah, it's already making plans. It's outsmarting you. I don't understand what else it needs to do. It's already getting eye stabby. Yeah, yeah, boy. That and I mean that if that is not an indicator of its malevolence, yeah. the fact that it's wanting to just stab you in the eye, yeah. I mean, Fuck you, control. <laughs> <laughs> that shit's not cool. That's what I'm saying. And it's got a, it's already developed its own, you know, Captain Lorca little torture chamber. I mean, it is uh, control is certainly a mirror universe construct if ever there was one. For sure. Because it is it is a terrible terrible device. I mean, just think, your Siri, you know, your uh, your iPhone could turn into control, Paul. Well, we still have what three, four episodes left, something like that. Four, uh, I think four. So perhaps I don't know. Like no, I think three. I don't know. Regardless, um, are, are, will we see a reintroduction of the mirror universe? Is that why they're keeping Giorgio around so much? I don't know. Well, they're keeping Giorgio around so much because uh, now she's going to be the head of Section Thirty One since Leland's going to move off stage. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. You know, and she's going to head up that whole Section Thirty One show. Yeah, which, you know, it hasn't officially been, I think, even started in production. But essentially, that's what we have uh, this season. We have this, like, a season-long backdoor pilot for Section 31. They are very much involved in this season. Yeah. Um, To the point that, like, we we spent half the season looking for Spock. And in this episode, he kind of pops in, says a couple of wise words, and then pops out. Well, you know who we're going to get in next week's episode, or in this week's episode, Paul? Who? Tignataro's back. Oh, I saw her in a uh, production still from this episode. I don't know how much she's going to be in it, but she's going to be in it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and yeah. The, you know, not, not, not to jump ahead. Well, no, I don't, I'm not going to jump ahead then. Um, so, you know, the way this episode wraps up is uh, so in order to to defeat control, that has basically put a wrench in their plans. They've, uh, they've monkeyed their wrench. Yes, what they've done. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Giorgio and Tyler figured that out and, and you know, successfully delay control from, from really screwing things up. And, and Burnham and Stamets and that other lady whose name I, I didn't remember, but the one who killed uh, Ariam. Uh, oh, Non. Non. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, you know, destroy the machine that's that's kept the, the time suit in 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 their time. Right. And it gets sucked up into a portal, but so does Mama Burnham. That's right. They, but not before a heartfelt unse- moment between mother and daughter. That's right. That's right. There was, uh, my mom will find you, you know, is one of those kind of things. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get you, mom. Yeah. They had this like little moment of, um, yeah. you know, Mama Burnham, you know, I've always been proud of you, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was all very emoti, and yeah. I, I'm not criticizing that. I mean, no, I, I think it was a fine. It was a nice Sa- scene. Sonequa Martin Green is a, is a fantastic actress, and I forget the actress's name who played her mother, but she was in The Wire as well. Oh, okay. uh, just exceptionally well cast. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that they, they probably could not have found an actress uh, better matched to Sonequa Martin-Green for that role. So I, I, I really very much bought the mother-daughter sort of thing. And mm-hmm. even, even though it annoyed me, the uh, initial rejection that her mother had, because, you right. know, it, it, she did have some emotional safeguards up where she was just, you know, look, I've already, you've already, you've already died. In, in, in my experience, you know, I've given you up a hundred times, you know, so, you know, she was trying not to feel. And when she does feel, man, you know, it, it's the, the show is all about the emotion. And I think I said this last week, this incarnation of Star Trek is very much more concerned with how you feel about the characters yeah. than the the message of the show. Or you know the 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 more the morality play or the science fiction of it all. It's much more concerned about how you feel about the people. This is people in space, not ideas in space, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't object to that. It is just a different way of of telling Star Trek stories, and they certainly have a great cast uh, in order to do those. Um, but, you know, I, you, there is a reason why you would never see this kind of storytelling in earlier incarnations of Star Trek because this kind of storytelling did not matter as much, particularly mm. to Gene Roddenberry. You know, he was much more about the idea. He wanted you to like the characters so that you could get to the, the, the morals and meanings. But he he was not nearly as invested in you, you know, holding them and cherishing them as no. this show, you know, clearly is. This show clearly wants you to adore uh, these characters. I will say that there was an exchange between uh, Mama Burnham and Captain Pike that I thought was hysterical, Paul. And, you know, she says, she says, I know all about you, Captain Pike. I know all about your future, you know. I won't tell you because you wouldn't like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ouch. And, I, you don't, know, I don't like that Pike has taken a backseat these last couple episodes. Yeah. I, cause I, because I know we've got such limited time with yeah. him. I really want him front and center. Agreed. Um, that, and I, I think he needs to step up and keep Burnham in check. Yeah. Because, man, every episode she's like, I want to go see my mom. Not because she's my mom, but because it's the right thing. I'm like, what the yeah. fuck are you talking about? Of course <laughs> it's because she's your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Pike, get your ship in order. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a, you know, before we wrap up our, our talk about this episode, I do want to mention something that, that we haven't, which is the Red Angel's connection to the signals. Yes. Or lack thereof. Yeah. Yeah, we found out that uh, Mama Burnham, as the Red Angel, is not responsible for the big red flashy lights. Yeah, so what, what the are hell they? does that mean, Paul? I don't Where know. are those coming from? And why are they red then? Yeah, what the hell? Perhaps Mama, Mama Burnham and the suit got sucked up into the time vortex or whatever the hell it is, into the quantum realm. Um, and someone else has gotten the suit, and that's a different person in causing the signals. What mm-hmm. I wondered and before the end of the show, I was thinking this was that perhaps she went in the at, at some future point after this episode, ah, well, laid in the lights. Uh, you know, w- once she had you know kind of you know got solicited some other opinions because I feel like that's that's where her weakness is, right? Yeah, she's kind of lived in a vacuum and only has herself to bounce these ideas off of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that 
you know, the exposure to the discovery crew and being able to bounce those ideas. Cause like, you know, the idea that the discovery team had to give her the data was something that never occurred to her. Um, so it makes me wonder if the, if those, you know, lights where she's like, she didn't know anything about them, uh, from her perspective, but if they're not something that she adds in later, ah, time travel makes my head hurt. I know quantum mechanics are hard. Bullshit. I know. Well, so, next week, yes, yeah. Tell us about next week, Paul. We Lay ret- it on me. We we return not to Klingon, but I'm, I I think we return to oh, the yeah, planet. We're going to Borath. Borath, where where Tyler dropped his uh, his albino Klingon son, right? Where Junior is. Yeah, yeah. Junior Tyler. Yeah. Junior. What's the guy? What? What? Um. Not. What was his uh, Klingon name? Voke. Voke. Yeah. Junior Voke. Voke Junior. Uh huh. Uh huh. VJ. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I really kind of thought we were going to get out of the season without revisiting the Klingons. Yep. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna get go to Borath, where uh, where his son is being raised, and perhaps we'll get to see uh, Lady Klingon too. You never know, because I saw her in a production. Still, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. I liked this episode. Um, I liked that it, it was did okay. not seem nearly as dense as the last episode. Agreed. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. Well, until the next one, if you guys have any comments or feedback about this week's episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, or this week's Star Trek Discovery, or the Twilight Zone, or whatever the hell you want to talk about. Uh, your, um, your, your experience buying tickets for Avengers Endgame. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, hit us up at uh, on our social media. We have uh, Facebook, IOM Geek, Twitter, at Ideology Madness, or Instagram, at IOM Geek. You can hit us up on any of those. Or we have a hotline, the IOM Geek hotline. The number is... 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise, and you know you want one. Do it. Do yeah, it now. Do it. Do it. All right. Well, I'm off to go uh, watch me some CBS All Access. Get, get me some of that Twilight Zone on. And we will see you in the future. Ooh. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. 